This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Last episode, we learned that bears don't actually hibernate. They just languish in their dens over the winter. I asked Lily to find out what bears in other warmer parts of the world are up to. Turns out one of the most knowledgeable experts on grizzly and brown bears lives right here in Ontario. He just retired after spending his whole career in places like Yellowstone and the Rocky Mountains. Dr. Barry Gilbert is our featured guest this episode, but be warned, he's got some graphic details about his own encounter with an angry mother grizzly bear. I'm also going to tell a bear encounter story of my own. Come on, Lewis, let's get out of this forest. I'm starting to get the creeps. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily. Hey. Bears are pretty commonplace, right? No kidding. I I think a lot of people have seen a a bear in the wild. Have you? Oh, yeah. Lots of bears. I live in the city. I don't see bears. Just at the... uh, Omega Park. Speaking of bears for entertainment, what did you figure out for us? Well, I learned that the non-government organization World Animal Protection has been busy lobbying the Punjab government in Pakistan. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It resulted in an amendment to the Wildlife Act making all private bear keepers illegal, including capturing and owning bears for baiting, dancing, and begging, which is great. Despite this new legislation, the challenge is the removal of the bears from the private citizens who earn their livelihoods from these guys. It means providing alternative livelihoods for bear owners in exchange for their bears and an agreement to not return to the practice. If bears are merely confiscated from their owners, uh, there's a strong possibility that replacement bears will simply be sourced from the wild, which is why providing sustainable alternative livelihoods is key to ending bear baiting and dancing for good. To date, the program has helped 108 previous bear owners to obtain sustainable and animal-friendly livelihoods. Captive bears who have endured years of abuse are given sanctuary where they can live out their lives peacefully in as natural an environment as possible while getting the care they need. The sanctuary is located in the Chakwal district of Punjab, Pakistan. You know, I knew we have bears here in Canada and zoos and, you know, places like African Lion Safari and Omega Park, where they can roam kind of like their own natural environments. But uh, I did not know that bears were being used like this, like, you know, monkeys. Well, bears have other things to worry about in Canada, like being shot or having to migrate due to being displaced from habitat loss and climate change. A man who has spent his life studying brown and grizzly bears lives right here in Ontario on uh, Wolf Island near Kingston. Dr. Barry Gilbert spent 40 years studying Yellowstone grizzlies and other Rocky Mountain and West Coast bears, and he just released a book called One of Us, A Biologist's Walk Among Bears. Barry's career as a bear expert started with him being mauled by a mother grizzly bear in Yellowstone. He got quite disfigured, like he lost half his face, lost an eye, but it never stopped him. I mean, he loved bears more than ever. He had to do things a little differently, but it never stopped him from pursuing his his goal of becoming a bear expert and doing bear research. He's our guest today. Oh, I've heard you talk about him. You've been raving about him for weeks. <laughs> I have. I need to warn our listeners, Lily, that uh, some of Barry's 
description of the mauling incident are kind of graphic. You know, he wanted to tell it because this is a way for him to make sure people get the understanding that bears are dangerous and you need to be careful. But it also sets up this whole history of his living with this disability and disfigurement and having to deal with that and the way people look at him. I think there's some valuable lessons there. Also, the fact that he really, he loves grizzly bears either way. He's become like very interested by them. Yeah. Even though he was mauled by one. That's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's not uncommon. Like a lot of people that are attacked by sharks become sharks biggest sort of supporters. Time for the bucket list. Dr. Barry Gilbert, welcome to Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. So uh, nice to have you on the show with me. Great to uh, join you, Lawrence. Happy to talk bears. Describe to me the different types of bears there are in North America. Let's start there. The polar bears, of course, in the far north. Black bears are quite widespread. They get in trouble in a hurry because they get habituated to people and uh, get food conditions, so they can be quite destructive. And the other bear is uh, known as the grizzly or brown bear. It's called brown bear. They're the same species. The salmon-eating bears are often referred to as uh, brown bears. But in the Rockies, we refer to the mountain bears as uh, grizzlies. And you specialized in grizzly bears. I uh, started a faculty position teaching at Utah State. I decided that Yellowstone was a good place to... uh, do observational studies like Jane Goodall and her chimpanzees. Yellowstone was having a problem uh, with uh, bears coming into campgrounds, and they'd killed about 220 of them through the early 70s. And they wanted to, to know more about people and bears on trails. I had a new student. We went around northwestern Yellowstone. Unfortunately, within two weeks, uh, I came over a ridge at 9,000 feet and walked right into a big uh, grizzly that ran me down, tore my scalp off, and uh, took off half my face. Oh, my goodness. uh, My uh, student had dropped behind to do a nature call, (laughs) and he came up and hollered at the bear, and uh, the bear ran off. And, of course, I was lying there in a pool of blood. There's eight of them came in and bandaged me up and they hauled me off uh, in a helicopter. And uh, my next study was uh, plastic surgery for uh, 10 operations trying to put my face back together. Shortly after that, I got a chance to go to Alaska to study uh, brown bears on salmon streams, which turned my life around. So I kind of got hooked. And then after I quit doing field work, I decided that I got so many requests to uh, talk about my accident, which really turned me off because I knew it wasn't good for grizzly bear conservation. So I decided to use it as a hook to uh, get on television and make the case that bears, once you get to know them, are really not that dangerous. I uh, ended up uh, writing a book called uh, One of Us, A Biologist's Walk Among Bears. Now, it isn't easy to get to know grizzly bears, but I like to use the idea of a big, strange dog. And if you're going into bear country, think of how you would behave with a big dog. First thing you do is look at it and see what its motivation is. Is tail wagging? Does it want to come up to you? Or has it got a low 
growl, you can actually read them quite well. They're so dog-like. Hopefully you see it at a distance. And if it's a big grizzly, it'll probably leave you, but you should also leave it. You sure don't approach it or act aggressively in, in any way. You feel that tagging bears and tranquilizing and tagging that intense close-up interaction with bears is pretty tough on bears. I interviewed uh, a bunch of biologists that tagged uh, and put radio collars on bears. And I've seen many, many videos. The bears are very, very angry when they're caught in a leg snare or they're held in a culvert trap, which is the usual way. And then a person approaches them Mm -hmm. and they dart the bear. And of course, the bear can see you and is angry. Some of them basically eat the nearby trees. They'll just chew right through a tree, I think, are very disturbed. I followed up a case of a a bear in uh, Yellowstone that had been trapped 23 times and ended up killing a guy in a campground. And then I read the chat's uh, master's thesis. He'd studied this bear, 23 was its number, and it had kept him up in a tree in the middle of the night uh, for four hours. Lawrence, that idea of bears getting to hate people is totally speculative. And you can imagine I got some blowback from people, but they are very intelligent animals. I think they become more dangerous the more they're handled. They mm. do not get accustomed to people abusing them. And you got to call it animal abuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, it's capturing, but there's so many other ways now using hair DNA and uh, trail cameras and all kinds of things. I just have never seen the need for capturing and radio collaring. We've done this now for 50 years. Is there more we need to know? The documentaries that are coming out, because they're sure. really time studies, they're, they're oh, amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. Yep. And they can learn the genetic relationships uh, of the various bears. And you can identify individuals, of course, from their DNA. I think it's uh, important that people that capture bears and collar them need to make the case that all the other techniques aren't good enough for what they want to know. Mm-hmm. I would rather they spend their time creating habitat for bears. I wanted to see real wild bears and how they adapted to people. And it was astonishing. You wouldn't believe you know, how many bears you can come close to in a place like Brooks River. And of course, now over two, 3,000 people a year fly in there and walk in and on the trails that, the, that they're basically bear trails. There's a lot of talk these days that animals are sentient beings. Do you want to expand on that a little bit with respect to your observations? The best example that I can think of, females with cubs that bring the cubs in and set them down near people. Now, the reason they do that is that the female knows that big males that kill cubs will not come near people. Talk about intelligence. She can't take her cubs out into cold, swift water, so she needs to put them someplace. There aren't any trees to drive them up. So she takes them to people and, and then runs off to fish. And so she's figured out that that's a safe place. It's a refuge from big males. I think that's an example of planning. And then later she comes back 
and the cubs are playing with their feet or chasing each other. They're surrounded by people. Now, I don't know what signals the female gives the cubs to stay because usually they're like glue with their mother. They're underneath her, they're around her legs. They act like they're in a horror show and they need to stay with mom the whole time. But she uh, cuffs them or does whatever. I once saw a female swim across a riddler and her cubs swam after her. She turned around and smashed the little guy underwater and he turned around and went back where he should have stayed and she <laughs> carried on. And I thought, woo, boy, that's tough love. If the cubs are gonna survive, they have to do what mom tells them to do. Can you describe in, um, in, in relatable terms, in terms of like hand size and paw size and, and head size and, and body size and strength, can you give us some uh, comparisons on it so people can sort of build an, a visual image? Yeah. They're incredibly powerful. I remember chasing a, a bear we darted in Yosemite up a tree and the scratch marks in the tree when it, it jumped up that tree like a cat. And I had a big knife and tried to make a mark like one of the claw marks and I couldn't do it. Their, their forelimbs are powerful. So the strength of these animals is uh, unbelievable. Their muscles are huge. One thing they can't do is run for a long time because they overheat. They're so well insulated. But the paw of a full-grown, mature male is about the size of the dinner plate. And the claws on brown bears are long for digging. They're, they're two to three inches off the end of the toe, whereas the black bear has curled claws. They're not retractable like in cats but they can climb trees well because they've got curved claws that hook into the tree. By and large, grizzlies and brown bears don't climb trees. Although if the branches are right, they've gone up to 10 or 12 feet after people. If you're gonna climb the tree and you have time, which is very infrequent, you wanna go high in the tree and find a comfortable place because that bear may, may stay below for quite a while. They stand you know, they bump their heads in most uh, people's living rooms on the ceiling. So uh, you're dealing with a quite a large on the board. I mean, they eat just about anything. When you started your research, it must have been about the same time that the movie Jaws came out and it scared people to death about sharks. And, and I think there was probably the similar sentiment in terms of grizzly bears especially, all bears. People have an enormous, enormous outgrown fear of all bears. Do you think we're beyond that now? Do you think we've moved grizzlies to the other end of the spectrum to well, like elephants and giraffes yeah. and things like that? If you go to a, a magazine rack in a store, what do you think the chances are that you're going to read a story about a female grizzly bear nursing her young? The expression if it bleeds, it leads, is really mm. true. Uh, mm. So-called men's magazines and such, it's always about the guy that has a close call that kills the grizzly bear. That's a segment of society. You and I know quite well how different people's views are about wildlife. I had one guy at one stage after he heard about my accident, he says, we should just kill all grizzly bears everywhere in the world. And uh, the guy wrote an article in Science Magazine saying that uh, he'd prefer that if Yellowstone exterminated all, uh, all the grizzly bears. So 
I don't hope to change any of those people's minds, but uh, we could easily extend the stories of how people don't need to be afraid going into places like Yellowstone and Glacier. All you have to do is have the can of bear spray. If you don't have any experience with bears, uh, join with some other people and uh, realize you're not going to be attacked. The bear, if it sees you, is going to try and get away as fast as it can. Even that TV series, Yellowstone, there's a, a grizzly bear that attacks a couple hikers and then attacks one of the main characters in the show. And they, he has to stand his ground. He's backed up against a cliff and he has to shoot the bear. And yeah. the bear just seems completely, completely like an insane, enraged animal for yeah. no reason, for <laughs> no reason, right? Just came out of the blue and wanted to kill everybody. Yeah, people don't know anything about their language. So the moment they open the jaws and they see the teeth and they hear the growl, they think it's enraged. Now bears do get enraged, there's no question. Uh, if they're on a carcass or they got cubs, that's the type of situation where people get injured because they stumble on the bear and they're far too close to the bear's tolerance. And the, what the bear does is rush out and neutralize. They do that with male bears. They'll come across a meadow and attack. My theory is that she leaves the cubs way in the distance and then goes and tackles the male bear, which are most of the threats to uh, females with cubs. Mm -hmm. So she deals with him. That's a good strategy, but it doesn't work out for people sometimes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but are bears, do they have low vision? I'm, I'm told they could almost be legally blind in terms of the amount of vision they have. You know, that's another myth. I think what people are confusing, here's the way I understand it. My experience in the field is if you move, even blinking sometimes, they can see you. But if you're absolutely still, they don't have the foveal vision that we do. We can focus on a, an object in the distance and pick out the object from the surrounding. Bears can't do that. They have to see something move and then when they see it moving they don't rely on their vision they circle it and try to smell it because their sense of smell is probably a hundred times better than ours and it may be better than your average dog vision is the detection and the olfaction is the uh, confirmatory sense do they depend a lot on their hearing they alert to noise, people walking on leaves and that kind of thing. And they can also walk at night with such a soft foot that you have trouble hearing them. You'd think if a 600-pound animal is walking by you 15 feet away, that it would make a lot of noise. But <laughs> I've had other experiences where they're almost like a ghost floating through the forest. Barry, I want to finish up just by talking about the future of grizzlies. We have many different sides now of, of activists who want to see grizzlies protected, no hunting, you know, their territory protected, and others, yeah. you know, ranchers and so forth that want to maintain the ability to shoot bears that are marauding their, their animals, their livestock. Where do you see this? They're getting into trouble. And the problem is people are both intolerant and don't know how to behave around bears. With global warming crisis, the bears are going to move north. Their food base is going to change. You've raised a, a crucial question, Lawrence. Uh, we need 
to be more tolerant of bears coming into good bear habitat. They're not walking into towns. If grizzlies are going to survive, it will require a higher level of tolerance toward them and people protecting their chicken coops and their horse feed and their bird feeders, dog food left out. You, you have to behave differently when you have grizzlies around. There's no question. Like we all do when we go into bear country, if you go into Algonquin Park with black bears, you're very careful with your food and you don't want any black bears around. They can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Most of them aren't, but some of them are ready to prey on people if they don't know people and have never been exposed to hunting. In most places, they're hunted so heavily that they avoid people at all costs. That's a great, great question to end on, though, uh, Lawrence. I'm so glad you raised it because that's one message that the grizzly conservationists in uh, Montana are quite worried about is the dispersion of the grizzlies. And uh, they're getting into uh, areas where people are really intolerant and they're mostly armed if they're out in the countryside or if they're driving an all-terrain vehicle, they're probably going to have a gun with them. The statistics are depressing. There are more bears now being killed in conflicts with people than any time in the last four decades. We have to change our behavior if we hope to have grizzly bears in wild wilderness. We build our, our dream homes, our vacation homes in the mountains, in the valleys, in the territory yeah. of these bears. And then we get upset when they come into our yards. That's so true. And the other threat, of course, that we're not talking about is uh, forest fires. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left, 122 meters. You lost one eye in the process as well. Is that the case? Oh, yeah. Uh, the bear bit me uh, on the back of my head and I guess pretty much tore my scalp off because I, I got a new place to put a pencil in a groove in my skull. I, I turned around, unfortunately, and tried to fight it off from the pain of the bite. And it launched a bite on the left side of my face. And one of the big canines, which are a couple of inches long, popped down into my eye, squashed my eye, and tore the cheekbone off and exposed my brain. Doctors worked 11 hours to try and put my face back together and it didn't work, it went rotten. And uh, they carved it all off and took a big slab of skin off my shoulder and chest and uh, sewed me to my chest for a while. It turned out incredibly well, despite the complications and the infection and that sort of thing. Did you have to do anything differently in, in terms of your work, your observation work, like with one eye? You still had one good eye, right? Did that limit you in yeah. any way? Or did you develop some, some techniques to compensate for that? It's surprising how well you can get along with one eye. I use spotting scopes in all my work anyways. The distance isn't a problem. My biggest problem is I can't pour wine in a glass unless I touch the glass. <laughs> I went back to downhill skiing. I just decided that my hands were in good shape. My legs were in good shape. Who needs a face? If people have trouble dealing with it, when I take my glasses off, of course, you're looking at a guy with uh, one eye. But I just decided that was their problem, not my problem. I'm the same guy 
on the inside, you, you grow old, your face changes, mine changed too a little earlier. That was uh, 45 years ago. And I went back to a career teaching. My students liked my teaching. I got good reviews and I decided I'd go back and study theirs. I thought when I first went to Brooks River that I'd lost my mind. We're coming in on a float plane and hitting on the shore and I look up and there's this 600 pound massive fur, looked like an elephant. But the bears were just walking everywhere through camp. I ended up taking people home from the restaurant or bar at night without a flashlight with bears walking around, you could hear them. And then when I dropped them off at their cabin, I had to walk back by myself to my tent. I just did it. Uh, I, I had faith that the bears that were there treated people like they were magpies. They basically ignored people. Good yeah. interview, Lawrence. I was tent camping in the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and on the picnic table was a giant sign with a list of 15 things you had to not do to avoid having a bear come into your campsite. Even things like spitting toothpaste onto the ground. You had to put all your food in your vehicle. Don't bring anything like food into your tent. When we arrived, I noticed that a can of Fresca had exploded in the trunk and it sprayed all over our camping gear, mainly the tent bag bag that held our tent. Anyways, I set up the tent and I left the tent bag outside the tent and I just lifted up one of the tent poles and poked it through the handle of the tent bag so it wouldn't fly away just in case the wind picked up. Well, about two in the morning, my guide dog was sitting there shivering and he woke me up because he was shaking so much. I could hear sniffling outside the tent. Then I heard it sniffling right by my head and that's where I had put the tent bag. It had smelled the fresca on the tent bag. Well, what bears do is they grab things and throw them, and then they grab it and take it into the bush and eat it. So he tried to grab the tent bag, and the tent pole wouldn't let go, and it bounced out and poked the bear, and he jumped back, startled by the tent pole. He grunted, and then he went away. The next night, I made sure I went to bed with the cast iron frying pan and the axe. So in the middle of the night, I'm lying there, waiting for the bear to come back. And at the next campsite over, I hear a cooler being moved. And then I hear the bear punch the cooler and the cooler tumble across the ground. And then I went to sleep knowing that I could sleep in peace because the bear got his dinner. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.